<laughs> okay. One day, Arum Kang and her sisters got a phone call. They were asked, almost out of the blue, to showcase their new online dating company, Coffee Meets Bagel, on a television show. And not just any television show. Shark Tank. Like any first-time entrepreneur looking to fund their startup, who's given the chance to pitch their company on ABC's Business Wonder Child, Arum told the show's producers the same thing everyone would. After the initial conversation with the producer, I actually told them, I don't think this is the right fit for us. Wait, really? It was a no? Yeah. <laughs> and that weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine, and it was almost like if she could, she probably would have smacked me on the face. I think deep down, it was really more of a fear that was making me create these excuses. And so the next day, I went right back to the producer and said, hey, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I really would be interested in being on this show. Arun was going to step into the tank and pitch the likes of Barbara Corcoran, Kevin O'Leary, and Mark Cuban. The Cubes. It was somebody I, I would have loved to have, uh, have as an investor. Like every guest, she walks out to deliver the pitch. You know, they make you sort of stand behind that door for 10 seconds and start counting down before you start marching out. And I, the whole time I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Almost right out of the gate, Mark Cuban buries those mitts of his into the armchair and full court presses a room. You want an investment, you can't not tell us. It's about sharing data. Yes, but I think that's a good range. It gives you a good idea. No, it doesn't. No, but why won't you give us the actual number? And then, a room's dream investor. Okay, I'm out. I'm out. First one out. I was like, oh no. Call it the magic of TV, but there was some tape left on the cutting room floor. Basically, whatever you share on that stage, you know, they're free to air it. I did end up sharing it, and uh, they just, you know, chose not to air it, which was nice. In a normal investor meeting, you're doling out spreadsheets and unloading all types of data. But on television, you're sharing your data with every eyeball Jim and Mary watching. Arum was protecting her customers. And of course, you know, having five of them not only asking you questions, but at the same time, you know, arguing with each other is also a dynamic you have to manage. So, so stressful. That, yeah, that actually makes it tricky. <laughs> then Robert delivers a classic Herjavec hot take. Coffee meets bagel. You know, you're an all or nothing play. Why do you think we're all or nothing? What we're trying to create here, you know, has a huge impact on lives of single people. And so we do have to think big. And, you know, if that comes off as sort of all or nothing, too risky, it just means it's not a good fit. But yeah. for me, that was sort of affirmation that we are thinking in the right direction. But compliments aside, the sharks I'm out. keep I'm out. dropping. I'm out. Out. I'm out. Frankly, I think with the exception of Mark Cuban, all the other sharks, they don't have a lot of experience in consumer tech companies. And so I think that, for the most part, was number one reason why they decided not to invest. That is, until Mark Cuban, like a George Romero shopping mall fantasy, rises from the dead to deliver one last jump scare. Let me ask you a question. If I offered you $30 million for the company, would you take it? <laughs> Get the f*** out of here. $30 million? Mark Cuban's offer was a Shark Tank record. If I offered you $30 million for the company, would you take it? No. OK. 
I will not be taking it. Not taking it? Passing? On the cubes? You know, to be honest, for me, like everything was just like instant and my gut reaction immediately said no. He offered you $30 million and you didn't even flinch. I mean, it was the ultimate TV power move. <laughs> Thank you. I love this story. I do. But it's not so simple as leaving the show, riding the Shark Tank appearance bump, and growing the business. The aftermath a room faced, personally and as the company's leader, was a far cry from your average, meet-cute, rom-com formula. There was a specter of self-doubt, a discovery of the company's real values, and a final rise above all the noise. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. My name is Nick Spatchapoli. Megan Siebert, S-I-E-B-E-R-T. A friend's friend told me about it. You know, it, it was just a very different experience. And she said, I've met a bunch of guys on Tinder and I met a bunch of guys on Coffee Meets Bagel. And I was like, what's Coffee Meets Bagel? I've never heard of that. So just thought I would check it out. Tinder was just so casual. Uh, here's a picture of me. If you think I'm hot, great. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm going to say something genuine about myself. Maybe I won't. <laughs> maybe this one. Maybe this one. Maybe this one. You start to realize the best way to go about it is just to swipe right on everyone and see what sticks. And maybe someone messages you, maybe they don't. It was fun, but um, it didn't like lead to any dates or anything. It wasn't something I was, at the time, I just wasn't like using it seriously, I feel like. With this, it was you got 10 matches per day. It wasn't as like just a random matching like Tinder or some of the other dating apps were. And the setup was like really easy to use. Like it was pretty straightforward and like intuitive in terms of how to set up a profile. And you know, the profiles were long enough that you could get a sense for someone, but short enough that you didn't feel like you were taking on another task. The only part that took me long was like just thinking about like, okay, what do I say about myself? And this is part of what brought me to Coffee Meets Bagel. You know, I realized really quickly dating because you're looking for something specific generally means that you're not going to find it. And, you know, I started I started using these apps not, not so much as a way to meet the person I was going to marry, but to just try and make new friends. You know, being, being an adult, it's, it's hard to make friends. If you've ever used a dating app, any of them, roll the roulette, you're likely to come to the same realization. Online dating apps suck. Oh, God, yes. I'll give it to you straight. <laughs> you know what? It's true. Rarely you run into people who say, oh, my God, I love being single and I love using <laughs> this online dating service. Like, you almost will never see that. But why is that? Technology, at its best, should help centralize and process massive amounts of data, leaving you, the lovelorn, hopeless romantic, with statistically the best options. But even getting here, something that complicated, is 50 steps past the starting line. People are using online dating service not because they love the experience, but because rather out of necessity. You know, before, like in the 70s, what's interesting is if you, you know, there was a research that said 90% of people who ended up getting married, they lived in within 10 mile radius of each other. Yeah. So basically zip code used to dictate who you're going to end up with. Now it's not the case anymore. And certainly online dating uh, platforms have contributed to that change. But I think where the dating services are miserably failing is converting those 
funnel of choices that people have into meaningful interactions. We do these sort of regular surveys, not just Coffee Meets Bagel users, but online dating. And actually 15%, 1-5% out of 1,000 singles we surveyed said, I got to know even one person very well through the service that I was using. Wow. And I think this is number one reason why online dating industry sucks right now because it's not doing a good job getting two people to get to know each other very well. There's a balance, right? It's not just technology, it's also the product experience. Because finding someone who's right for you is likely not the same as someone who's right for me. We don't play this numbers game because that's very distracting to our users. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is all about personalization uh, and curating the right matches for people every day at noon. And then after that discovery takes place, Then our job is how do we actually get people to get a good sense of who each other is? And that can be done through many ways, whether it's, you know, great profile or getting people to actually put something down on the profile, et cetera. My vision of future of online dating is where people don't have to feel like they are going on this awkward first date because when they go on first date, they don't, they actually have no idea who each other is. So before you go on first date, can that actually take place on the platform? So by the time you meet up in person, you it's like you're already meeting people you know. That's the kind of experience that we want to create. Coffee Meets Bagel is geared towards women. Our gender ratio is uh, 52 to 48, woman to men ratio, which is totally different from vast majority of other services, which averages around 70 to 30 male to female ratio. That type of experience not only unleashes each woman's inner Khaleesi, but the experience is significantly better for all parties involved. It's fundamentally because our our product focused on two things that women really cared about. One is the quality of the people. To be honest, a lot of our uh, male customers, for them, they actually really like having choices and being able to browse like limit you know unlimited amount of profiles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for women this is quite overwhelming. So we we decided to optimize towards women's experience because we know that women tend to engage far less than men. And the second thing that really women care a lot about is safety. And so from the beginning, uh, we did a, we took a lot of number of measures to make sure our community felt safe. There was a way to actually uh, report people. And we are very strict about um, enforcing, you know, once people get reported above certain threshold, enforcing those and getting them off of the platform yeah. and setting those expectations up front. Because what's really critical about any type of social community is at the very beginning, who you see the community with and the behavior, that norms that get set, it's very hard to change once it's set up. And I think those two aspects really resonated more with women. The ratio of men to women users? Balanced out. The community? Built to expect long-term relationships. Women? feel safe using the product. With these types of customer pain points sussed out, you'd think Match.com or Tinder are the competition, right? Why wouldn't you? The Match Group, which owns Plenty of Fish, Tinder, OkCupid, and Match.com, will rake in a projected $1.7 billion in 2018. But for a room, the real competition, its biggest competitor, is as tangible as a hot cup of coffee. Well, we think... We think dating people the old-fashioned way, of course, is the sort of biggest quote-unquote competition because that's what people are comparing us to, to be honest. And this is what's driving the most uh, dissatisfaction. Understanding your customers. Yeah, that's table stakes. But what happens when those very same people turn on you? 
for something that has nothing to do with your business and everything to do with you? How do you focus on growing a company while processing a barrage of negative personal feedback? The perception of a room and other female business leaders and how it came to define the culture at Coffee Meets Bagel is coming up after this quick break. Starting a business is mm, tough. Take it from a room. After you raise the money, that's when the real work begins. And the fine folks at HubSpot love helping startups scale up. That means providing entrepreneurs with the tools, support, and education they need to grow better. That's why there's HubSpot for Startups, a special program where entrepreneurs can get HubSpot's marketing, sales, CRM, and customer service software for 90% off. Is that true? Really? Wow. See if you're eligible by going to HubSpot.com startup. That's HubSpot.com startup. Okay, back to the episode. I wanted to see like a sense of humor either through pictures, like either, you know, just somebody who doesn't take themselves seriously. She, she popped up in my tent and I had swiped right. Interesting, but also had a sense of humor. I remember seeing that she had already liked my profile. His pictures were crazy, and then he was like saying silly things in his profile. Like he was like witty. Oh God, it was her smile. That was, that was the first thing that popped out to me. She had this gigantic cheesecake grin on her face. Like someone had just told the funniest joke in the world. So I remember this guy just messaged me something totally out of the blue and random that just made me laugh out loud, which immediately caught my eye, caught my attention. Yeah, I, I remember sending her just this really stupid message filled with bad puns. And he had these like just crazy pictures of him with like these mustaches and one where he was playing some instrument and I was like, this guy looks crazy. Mm, we were messaging about a week. Once you're matched up, then it's open. Either of you can talk to each other. So it's like opens up the opportunity to have a conversation like over the app. And I remember like kind of stressing about what to say to her. But it's not just like you could, like only the man can message or only the woman can message. Like once you're matched, it's like open. So I took her uh, to one of my favorite spots downtown called Ophelia's Electric Soapbox. And we went back and forth a lot with sort of this like sarcastic and kind of witty banter. I was kind of blown away by her as soon as she as soon as she walked in the door. We had this moment where we had just an amazing kiss, uh, you know, over giant Jenga of all things. And her name's Megan Siebert. His name was Nick Spatchapoli. You know, I tried not to set myself up as this is this is gonna be it. Like this is gonna be this is gonna be the woman that I marry. This is gonna be, you know, uh, something that I'm immediately gonna dive into a relationship. But I'll tell you that after our first date, that's how I felt. There's one interaction from a room's Shark Tank appearance that didn't quite make it to air, but a room still remembers. You know, the fact that Mark Cuban called us gold diggers. Did he end the show? Yeah, yeah, he did. Ah, and from Mark Cuban, their dream investor, no less. See, a room and her two sisters were asked how much they were taking home for salaries. And at the time, they each took $100,000. There's a response of shock from this number that still lingers in the episode, even though the word gold diggers was cut. What's worse, those same feelings permeated into many viewers' own minds. We also got a lot of really negative feedback from people 
and this was reflected not only in our emails that our customer experience team started receiving, as well as our social media channel uh, comments and you know feedback, etc., about how stupid we were for refusing this offer and how greedy we were. You know, people thought we were being super ridiculous and greedy, and for for paying ourselves that much money plus refusing that offer. Okay, so where was this all coming from? I did ask myself that question too. What about us that made them focus so much on that aspect? But I think it could be a couple of things. One, it is a sticker shock, I think, for average American to be earning that, you know, salary figure, even though in mm-hmm. San Francisco by all, you know, any living standard, you know, it's not it's not a whole lot. It didn't air, but we did go in depth with the sharks about how we did, started by not paying ourselves anything, and then we started paying ourselves, you know, you know, um, sixty thousand dollars, and then for a long time yeah. that continued, blah blah blah. But you know, I I think they just got fixated on that number. But there's a real question at play here. Something that, of course, crossed a room's mind. I did wonder at some point, like, is this because we're women? Like if it was a man, you know, refusing that kind of opportunity, like would that person be defined as somebody who's ambitious and, you know, visionary as opposed to greedy? I did ask myself that question. Of course, you know, there's never a straight answer for something like this. According to the Institute for Women's Policy Research, for every $1 made by a white male worker, a woman would receive 49 cents for their work. And those numbers get even worse when you look at the pay gaps for Black and Latina women. Arum faced a backlash over a question that many of her male peers generally field far less often. But Arum internalized it with light. I, honestly, I didn't take it seriously. And, you know, really? I knew, yeah, I knew that any media, of course, you want it to be positive, but could be a good thing. You could use it as an opportunity, even though it's negative. People just love to have opinions uh, in general and <laughs> and share that in public uh, yeah. platforms. And if you start agonizing over them, et cetera, it, there's no end to it. And so I, I just never took it serious. And some of my uh, team members did take it personally because we took a huge hit in terms of our review, uh, ratings, et cetera. You know, I said, always look at the positive side and then that aspect we can always work towards. I mean, it's happening and we cannot stop it. And so let's not, you know, waste more resources trying to do something about it. She managed her team's spirits along with her own. And the thing that kept her grounded, able to sort through all the static and hate. It's pretty consistent. What I tell my team is at the end of the day, we exist because of our customers and our number one priority is how do we service our customers better? And of course, we on, we have to do a really good job understanding who they are and what kind of mindset and needs they have because not everyone is our customers. Yeah. And that's our number one. And everything else is a distraction. Right. Don't forget that during all of this, Arum and her company were focused on trying to help their customers find true love. And hey, take it from Inigo Montoya. You couldn't ask for a more noble cause than that. You killed my father. Prepare to die. When you're small, the signal of what your customers care about comes through a bit more clearly. Then, as you grow, your numbers start to spike, but it gets more difficult to hear those customers so clearly. And I think this is why we need to be very clear about who our audience is and understand that we can't be the best product for everyone, even all the sing- among singles. There are so many different types of singles. And so who are our customers? We have to be very clear and then understanding their needs and then understand that we're here for them, not somebody else. Taking care of your customers really starts with your company's own people. And after the hype cycle following Shark Tank wound down, Arum came out more experienced than most in this. 
One of the biggest learnings I think I went underwent as a leader is I used to think uh, the way to deliver and maximize results is by focusing on the tasks and things that we're working on at hand. And now over time, I really realized that the best way to deliver results is focusing on people because Hmm. they're the ones who are actually going to do the work. And, you know, you hear a lot about how people are very important, talents are really important. And this is not something I didn't know as a leader when I started Coffee Meets Bagel. But I think with any type of wisdom, you know, or advice, it doesn't become valuable until you're ready to receive it. And over time, as I've seen sort of mistakes with people that I've made, our teams have made, et cetera, and how detrimental and costly that can be, this sort of advice um, is not just a cliche, it really is true. And I think I had to go through a whole journey and experience myself firsthand, how those can impact um, the organization for me to actually believe that myself. So after all this, Does a room ever go back and watch that fateful Shark Tank clip? (laughs) You know what? I I don't purposely go and watch the clip, but once in a while, my husband is watching it randomly and I happen to be sitting next to him. (laughs) And so, yeah. That's a good husband. (laughs) Yeah. So I do watch it again on an occasional basis. And when a room sees herself standing up there with her sisters by her side, what does she see? I see powerful three women who's, you know, trying to change the world. Goosebumps. And that $30 million offer, given the chance to do it all over again, do you take it? No way. (laughs) As my son always says, no way. Um, Yeah, this is not even a question. I think we're way beyond that point. Mark Cuban lost that opportunity and he's not getting it back. Oh, wait. Yeah, I almost forgot. Whatever ended up happening with our Coffee Meets Bagel friends, Nick and Megan? Well, after our recording, the two continued to date for a few more months. Then, on October 20th, the two rounded up their closest family and friends for a little ceremony. For the first time in public, Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas and Megan Congrats, lovebirds. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown with music from Synchronize. We'd like to thank Nick and Megan for sharing their story with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your shows. And you can always find us at hello at thegrowthshow.com. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and thanks for listening. 